word nerds? Welcome to the dictionary. My name is Spencer, and I got a haircut. Woo! Woo! Okay, let's talk about the first word. It is elm bark beetle. Three words, and uh, they're all spelled the normal way. Elm bark beetle. Noun from circa 1909. Um, oh, look at this. Uh, the picture that's here is actually for the the word in the previous episode, elm. I don't know why. Maybe they just didn't have the space. We have a picture of an elm tree. So, you know, let's just talk about that real quick. Um, it's a tree. <laughs> and there's leaves. Uh, yeah, I mean, it shows just a picture of a tree. It's an elm tree. I don't really know how well to describe it. Um, I could try to describe the leaves a bit better because there is a close-up of the leaves. Um, okay, the, the the definition, when it was talking about the leaves, it said they're, uh, they're alternate stipulate leaves or stipulate. And so we have a little bit of a branch that the leaves are attached to, and then the leaves alternate back and forth. So on the right side, there's a leaf, and then closer to the end of the branch on the left side, there's a leaf, and then you get closer to the end of the branch on the right side. So that's why they're alternate. Uh, left, right, left, right, left, right. Uh, the shape of them, they are, um, ooh, I guess you would say almond-shaped. Uh, they have a point at the end, um, so it sort of flares out. Uh, almond-shape-like and then it comes to a point at the end, and then the the edges of the leaves are a little bit bumpy. Um, there, I guess, that would that be the stipulate or the stipulate? Yeah, they're just sort of a little bumpy on the edges, and then they come to a point. Uh, the tree, it's a skinny. It doesn't flare out very wide. It's more all uh, more together, uh, and it just sort of goes up. There are obviously some big branches, big uh, uh, splits in the trunk. Um, but yeah, they pretty much just go straight up. That's an elm tree. So now we have to talk about this thing called an elm bark beetle. Either of two beetles that are vectors for the fungus causing Dutch elm disease. So that means that uh, they they carry the fungus, the, the fungus uh, that has Dutch elm disease, and so I guess when these beetles uh, get into the tree, the elm tree, maybe they're eating the the roots, uh, then they can spread this Dutch elm disease. That's what it means to be a vector. You can hold on to a thing and carry it and send it around, I guess. A, for one of these beetles, this is one native to eastern North America, that's just this. Those are the only specifics that we're getting. And then B, one introduced from Europe into Eastern North America. So interesting. One of them is native to Eastern North America. And the other one, I guess, is native to Europe. So they must have it there still. But then it also now lives in Eastern North north america so eastern north america is getting all of the elm bark beetles and then europe has some too so the family name for all of these is scolitidae the species name for the first one that is native to eastern north america is hylurgopinus 
Rufipes, or Rufipes, or Rufipes. And then the species name for the second one is Scolitus multistriatus. Multi, multistriatus. Yep, I think that's right. Fantastic. Uh, so yeah, I guess uh, we don't want the elm bark beetles hanging out around our elm trees. The sound effect today is going to go... I feel like, did I do something like this recently? Maybe I did. Next is elm leaf beetle. So the elm bark beetle is going to probably dig into the bark. But then we have this elm leaf beetle, noun from 1881. A small yellow to greenish black striped old world chrysomelid, chrysomelid beetle that in the larval and adult stage is a leaf-eating pest of elms in eastern North America. The species name is Peralta luteola. I love trying to say these species names. Uh, let's see. So they eat the leaves in both the larval stage and the adult stage. So their whole lifetime, pretty much, they're eating elm leaves. And they are a pest. What? Next is El Nino. Uh, let's see. So uh, capital E, capital N, and the second N in Nino has the squiggly line on top. Um, I don't know, the tilde, I think that's one name for it. Might have some other names too. Um, and that's the that little accent makes the N sound like it has a Y sound after it, El Nino. It's not El Nino or Nino, it's El Nino. Uh, the plural is El Ninos, and I think, I guess we might see this in the L's, uh, I think there is also a La Nina, uh, but you don't hear about that one as much as El Nino. So, it is a noun from 1896. Ooh, this is a long definition. An irregularly re bah. an irregularly recurring flow of unusually warm surface waters from the Pacific Ocean toward and along the western coast of South America that prevents upwelling of nutrient rich cold deep water and that disrupts disrupts typical regional and global weather patterns. And it does say compared to La Nina which is probably the opposite in some form. We'll get to that. Let me see if I can describe this. Um, let's talk about the etymology, though. Uh, this is Spanish, and it literally means the child. Why does it mean the child? Uh, it says, i.e., the Christ child. Is that the child that we're talking about? Is El Nino the Christ child? The little baby Christ boy? Um, interesting. Well, it says it's from the appearance. Oh, this is why. Because it is from the appearance of the flow at the Christmas season. So Christmas, we we say, I don't think it's true, but we say that uh, Jesus's birthday was Christmas. And so because it's Christmas time, they're like, oh, it's, it's the baby, it's the child, El Nino. I guess maybe they already called Christ in Spanish El Nino, the baby, the boy, the child. Uh, so... Because this happens during Christmas time, it's called El Nino. That's why. I had no idea. And now I know. And now you know. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Okay, so 
it's irregular. Uh, it has warm. So this is uh, this is in the Pacific Ocean, I guess. It's a stream of unusually warm water, comes from the Pacific Ocean, toward and along the western coast of South America. So the western coast of North America and South America is on the Pacific Ocean. The water comes in. It's very warm. It hits South America, and it prevents upwelling of nutrient-rich cold deep water. So the, the water in the deep part of the ocean is colder, but it also has more nutrients. And so there's this uh, there's this convection process where uh, the the warm water comes up and then it sort of cools down and then it goes down and it's there's this constant cycle of warm and cold water. So when this warm water comes in, it stops the colder water from coming up, I guess, and they need that nutrients, and it disrupts typical regional and global weather patterns. So that's what you know every every year around Christmas time or maybe other times too. Uh, they're like, oh. Oh, you El Nino coming in, disrupting all of our weather. This is where we start to get, you know, problems, weather problems. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's hurricanes and stuff like that. Uh, so what's La Nina? La Nina, well, it could be it could be colder water. I don't know exactly what it is. I'm just guessing it's probably the opposite in some way to El Nino. It could be cold water coming in. Uh, it could be coming in from the east side. That seems a little bit odd because I think usually the flows are going towards the east, but they, yeah, things, things go to the east too or to the west. Uh, so it could be that coming in, coming in on the other side. Uh, could be something else that I can't even think of. I don't know. We'll never know. Not yet. Uh, so yeah, that's El Nino, uh, and it, you hear about it a lot when you're when you're talking about the weather. When you're a meteorologist, you talk about El Nino. Next is elocution. I try to have good elocution, but sometimes in the morning, what is today? September twelfth, seven o five a.m. in my work office. Um, you know, I haven't uh, fully warmed up yet. And so sometimes my elocution is not the best. We got to do the stretches, the mouth stretches. Elocution is a noun from the 15th century. One, a style of speaking, especially in public. What style of speaking are you doing today? Well, I'm in public, so I'm doing my elocution. Two, the art of effective public speaking. We were just watching uh, Wellington Paranormal. Somehow we had missed the third and fourth seasons of that because there were all these other shows to watch, I guess, and movies. And uh, one of the episodes recently that we watched, there was a somebody had a fear of public speaking. And so I think he's, he was not a fan of elocution. The art of effective public speaking. You can speak out in public, and it's not going to be very effective. But when you can do it effectively... That's good. That's some good stuff right there. Uh, okay, so elocutionary is an adjective. Elocutionist is a noun. This word doesn't really say a whole lot. Uh, it's from the Latin elocution or elocutio, which you'd think you'd think that this word would have some more specific etymology. Um, you know, I'm going to put something in the show notes for elocution because I feel like there's 
there's something with the with the loc loku i don't know there's something in my brain that i know there's like i know the etymology i can sort of track it somewhere but i can't it's not it's not popping out at me there's there's something that they're not telling us here that they want us i want us to tell them want them to tell us oh my elocution is not so good today okay next is elodia e-l-o-d-e-a Elodia. I don't know this word. Noun from circa 1868. Any of a small American genus of submerged aquatic mon- monocotyledonous. I know this word. I can say it. I can say this word. Monocotyledonous herbs. There we go. Okay. They're herbs. They're submerged in the water. They're small. They're American. And their genus is also Elodia. Uh, so, let's see. Any other interesting information in the etymology? Yes. This is from the Greek word helodes, which means marshy, from helos, which means marsh, and akin to the Sanskrit word saras, which means pond. So, these are that's what it is. They're in the marshes and the ponds and the waters, and they are an herb that just happens to me, monocotyledonous. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how I know that word, but I know it. Next is Elohim, capital E-L-O-H-I-M. You can pronounce it Elohim or Elohim. Elohim. I think the first pronunciation is more accurate. That's why they put it there first. Uh, But the second one sounds a bit more like it's spelled Elohim opposed to Elohim. Noun from 1617, the, the, it's a synonym, which is just a 1A definition for the word God. That's it. Just God is Elohim. So I don't know uh, if people have issues hearing this word said in some way. I don't know why. Uh, you know, it's possible. So apologies if this bothers you, but we you know it's in the book, so we got to talk about it. Uh, this is used especially in the Hebrew Bible, uh, because yes, this is a Hebrew word from their word Elohim. Um, it looks like it's just got some extra accents, uh, but yeah, it's the it's just the Hebrew word Elohim. I'm definitely. I think I'm going to need to get an expert on for the God episode. Who's an expert on God? Should I have God on that episode? That would be fun. Next is Eloin. E-L-O-I-G-N. There is a hidden G in the word eloin. This is a verb. It looks like it's just transitive from the 15th century. One is archaic, and it means to take far away. Who are you taking far away? Well, it happens to be yourself. To take oneself far away. I'm sorry, I have to take myself away from this situation because there's a lot of drama over here and I don't want that, so I'm going to eloin. Number two is also archaic, and it means to remove to a distant or unknown place, and the synonym is conceal. Let's hide this thing. It's get, that's the whole idea here is getting rid of a thing, hiding it, putting it away, removing from one situation into a new situation. 
Um, what does the etymology say? I'm fascinated because, like we've seen, it's archaic. We don't know. We don't use this anymore. Uh, let's see. It's from the Anglo-French, elonaire, which is from S or X prefix, plus luin or loing, which means far. Um, also from the Latin longa or longus, which means long. Uh, and I think that prefix S or X uh, means out. So it's uh, you're taking it far, far away, long distance, far away. Away, out of here. That's the word. Hmm. Why don't we use this, I wonder? I wonder. Next is elongate. First form, verb from 1578. Uh, you can say elongate, elongate. You can emphasize that syllable and say elongate elongate, elongate, all those different ways. This just means to extend the length of. That's transitive. To extend the length of. Let's elongate this episode by speaking real slow and just hanging out for a while. That's not what this show is. We need to keep it short and snappy. Nobody wants to elongate these episodes any longer than they have to be. So the intransitive is to grow in length. It's just, you're in the first one, you're putting the action on the thing, you're stretching it out. The, uh, the second one, the intransitive, is just happens to grow, happens to elongate. It's happening on itself. The etymology is from the Latin verb uh, elongare, which means to withdraw. Now that's interesting, to withdraw. Um, that seems more symbol similar to the previous word, eloin, withdrawing away, not lengthening out. Hmm, that's very interesting. How did this change? Well, the next word is the second form of elongate. Could also be elongated. Uh, this is the adjective from 1751. One, number one, is stretched out, elongated. This episode is elongated because I'm talking more slowly. Hey. Number two, the synonym is slender. So I guess if a, if a human, what you would call, call somebody who's slender elongated? Well, typically people who have been elongated, who are taller and skinnier, have longer legs, longer arms, uh, they tend to be more slender, more skinny. Not always, obviously, but that, you know, they look like they've been stretched out. They look like they've been elongated. So we call them elongated, slender, anything. A snake. A snake is elongated. That's my sound effect. for That's being elongated. The next word is elongation. Noun from the 14th century. I would think this is the act of stretching something out. Uh, number one, the angular distance of a celestial body from another around which it revolves or from a particular point in the sky. Okay, the angular distance of a celestial body, a thing up in the sky, from another around which it revolves or from a particular point. A particular point. Um, 
the, the, it's the I don't really know why we're using the word elongation here. Um, those uh, those cosmologists, um, they know they know those astrobiologists, no astrophysics physicists. Um, yeah, I don't know why we're using this word here, but it's something about the distance, the angular distance between two things in the sky, planets, stars. 2A, the state of being elongated or lengthened, also the process of elongating. Here we go. Spencer, yet again, is doing some elongation, stretching things out, hanging out. Leaning back in his chair. <sighs> Number 2B. Something that is elongated is an elongation, I guess. Next is elope. There were two melons. There were two melons and they fell in love. But one was a watermelon and one was a honeydew melon and they their their families don't mix very well they they it was like a romeo and juliet situation and they said one of them said to the other watermelon said to the honeydew honey do we have to get married we, sh we should go get married and the watermelon said we can't elope <laughs> okay elope is an intransitive verb from 1628 Number one, to slip away. The synonym is escape, as in, might have mistaken him for some scarecrow eloped from a cornfield. Hmm, that's from Washington Irving. Escape. I have never heard of this word used in this particular context. I've heard it used in probably the next context, um, but just, just slipping away, escaping. And I love this quote. Might have mistaken him for some scarecrow eloped from a cornfield. So the scarecrow, well, no. I think what they're trying to say here is that this guy looks like a scarecrow. He looks like he is a scarecrow who escaped from his uh, his position in a cornfield. So he probably looks pretty ratty, and maybe he has some straw coming out of his ears. Okay, 2A. To run away from one's husband with a lover. Oh, that's this is also not really how we use this. This is not the most common usage of this word these days. But uh, I guess if you are, that's very specifically saying one's husband. You are running away from your husband. Why couldn't it be the other way around? Why couldn't? Why does it have to be running away from a husband, from a wife, from a partner? Shouldn't it just be just from your partner? I don't think I don't think we need the word husband in there. Hmm. Okay. Well, what's the other one? To be This one seems like it should have been first. To run away secretly with the intention of getting married usually without parental consent. Um I guess technically my wife and I did this. Um, it's not like we needed parental consent. We had both been married before and living on our own and independently. And we were like, you know what? We're going to get married. Um, and uh, we're going to do it kind of in secret. And so we got married in Vegas uh, when I was on a work trip. And uh, so and then and then we told people later and they were like, oh, you should have told me before. Please and thank you. But some people enjoyed it. 
Uh, okay, elopement is a noun. Eloper is also a noun. Uh, let's see. This is from the Anglo-French, esloper, or maybe it's just eloper, which means, oh, to abduct or run away. Well, which is it? Are you being abducted or are you running away? Those are different. Those are not the same at all. Abduct or run away. Hmm. Fascinating. I, I learned things about this word I did not know. Two whole definitions and etymology. The last word is eloquence. E-L-O-Q-U-E-N-C-E. Eloquence. Eloquence. Noun from the 14th century. One. Discourse marked by force and persuasiveness. Also, the art or power of using such discourse. So I think this is like your the way you talk to somebody, your discourse, the words you use, uh, your just the way you describe things, marked by force and persuasiveness. So you the the way that you are talking to somebody has force and persuasive. You're trying to persuade somebody to do something, and uh, it, but it's the art or power of using that ability. Eloquence. Hmm. Number two, the quality of forceful or persuasive expressiveness. Now, am I mixing this up with possibly the next word? I'm just looking ahead into the next episode. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm thinking of something that seems fancy. Have we already talked about this? Ele elegant? Maybe I'm thinking of elegant. Elegance? It's elo eloquence is knocked elegance. Eloquence. Hmm. Maybe I thought I knew this word and I didn't. But yeah, it's all about uh, being persuasive and forceful. Not at all what I thought. But now I will try to remember this word. Okie dokie. It's time. No, wait. What? Okie dokie. It's time for a word of the episode. Okie dokie. Let's read the words. We had elm bark beetle, elm leaf beetle, el nino, elocution, elodia, elohim, eloin, elongate, elongate, elongation, elope, and eloquence. Yeah, that does seem very similar to another word. Um, okay, which one do we want to pick? Um, I liked elope because I did elope. Um... What was the other one that I liked? Elocution I like because I'm trying to be better at my my elocution. Yeah, I think, is there like a Latin word? Locus? Lo, let's just do a quick look on this because I'm curious. Is it lo, locus? Loci for something about... Fix, but no. I mean, I think it could be, but... Yeah, well, I'll put something in the in the in the show notes. So let's see. Um, El Nino is a big thing uh, because it's it's messing up the weather patterns when it comes in, and I suspect that with climate change, uh, El Nino has been changing and evolving. Uh, let's see. Well, and I don't want to pick eloquence because I don't really love the idea of using your power for persuasiveness. It, it it feels like it has a connotation of negativity a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily. So maybe it's just persuasive in a 
positive way. I don't know. It could. It probably goes both ways. Um, so, Spencer, what are you going to pick? Um, let's pick elocution as the word of the episode. Elocution. Elocution. I'm speaking very clearly. I'm using my elocution. That was, that was just, oh, that was beautiful. Chef's kiss on that one. Okay, let's talk about another movie I watched. Uh, I think, I think I talked about, um, the Muppet movie. Did I mention that? I think I did. And Mother. This is Mother from not recently, uh, from 1996. This is Albert Brooks. Um, his, his relationship with his mother and he's trying to figure out, he's a very interesting filmmaker, Albert Brooks. Um, yeah, it was good. It's, uh, I didn't, I had never seen it when it first came out, but then finally we were like, yeah, let's see it. Albert Brooks is good and, uh, it's good and I liked it. And, uh, he goes and lives, (laughs) he's like in his, he must be in his thirties or something and, uh, maybe close to 40 and he goes to live with his mother to figure out why he is the way he is. And it's a very fascinating, interesting, funny story. That is the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening and possibly watching. And if you want to watch me, you have to become a patron, $5 a month. It's just like an espresso drink a month. You get to watch this for a half hour. Woo! This has been Spencer Dispensing Information. Goodbye.